Welcome to the Leadership on Demand podcast presented by the Krauss Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina located in historic downtown Charleston. I'm Colonel Tom Clark, Executive Director of the Krauss Center, and we are proud to share an inside look at the training, thinking, and experiences of principal leaders. Since 1842, the Citadel has produced principal leaders in all walks of life, and we look forward to sharing some of what makes the Citadel a strong and unique institution with you today. On this week's episode of Leadership on Demand, we will take a behind-the-scenes look at principal leadership training with special guest Colonel Chris Pepe Auger, head of the Air Force ROTC Department at the Citadel. Colonel Auger will discuss the ROTC pipeline, standing up Space Force requirements, and challenges and opportunities facing cadets seeking a commission in the armed forces after the Citadel. I'm today's host, Lieutenant Colonel Ted Feening from the Krauss Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. This podcast was sponsored in part by our friends at Spider. Thank you for joining today's Leadership on Demand podcast. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Leadership on Demand podcast. I am here today with very special guest, Colonel Auger, the head of the Air Force ROTC Department at the Citadel. Colonel Auger, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ted. I appreciate you uh, having me on today. Now, your current capacity is uh, as the head of the Air Force ROTC. Did you have any experience with the Citadel before you came to the ROTC department? I did not. I actually, uh, until a couple of years ago, I probably couldn't have told you the Citadel was in Charleston, South Carolina, uh-huh. which is embarrassing. Well, now, you, now you're here. You've arrived. Congratulations. I That's sir. right. Uh, well, what surprised you when you came? You, came, you come from the, the Department of Defense to here to our state militia training ground. Uh, what surprised you? What, what were some differences you saw in the way we train our airmen and the way we train our cadets? I don't know that there were any huge surprises. Honestly, it was fairly intuitive as far as how you guys train leaders. Uh, I went to Norwich University in Vermont, uh-huh. so another uh, senior military college. Uh, a little bit smaller and a whole lot colder. Uh, however, all the same principles apply. Like we're, we're creating leaders. Uh, I think that's what helped me get this job, honestly, is that I had that background. Yes, sir. Um, so for me, it was very natural to kind of step into this environment. Very different from a north-south perspective, though, I would say. Sure. Well, something that surprises a lot of folks about the Citadel is that not everyone comes through the Citadel to go into the armed services. It's a, it's a sort of common misconception out there. I think it's around 30 or 35% of cadets that, uh, that become a contract or go into the armed services. Can you talk a little bit about how that process works for, a, for an incoming freshman and, and how it might change through the course of their time at the Citadel? Absolutely. We receive uh, students that, that wish to be commissioned in a couple of different ways. Some of them were junior ROTC, so they already kind of have it in their mind what they want to do. Some of them have wanted to serve forever, and maybe their folks were in the Air Force or in another service, but they want to join the Air Force, or they want to fly fighter jets, right? Or they want to fly anything for that matter. So some of them come in with that mentality. Other ones get here, and kind of like I did at at Norwich, where I went to school, um, you have to take ROTC for the first two years at most Mm -hmm. military colleges as part of your leadership credit. You do not have to commission into the service. Yeah, that is true here as well. So they have to take four semesters or two years worth of it. Um, when I joined at Norwich, I had zero intent of joining the Air Force whatsoever. Hmm. Some students show up here the same way. I joined Air Force ROTC because I, honestly, I, I thought it would be easier. And my dad was in the Air Force uh, during Vietnam. So I said, well, I'm going to join the Air Force ROTC for a few years, but I'm definitely not joining the military or commissioning. <laughs> that was about 28 years ago I made that decision. So, yes, uh, and I've never looked back and I, and I can't stop. Right. I, I, I hear you loud and clear. I'm, I'm, you know, what our audience can't see is I'm sitting here with you in your fatigues and uh, I've got pictures of F-15s and uh, you have a gun barrel on the wall just like I have at home. And I just uh, I, I just really uh, love flying against the F-15. It's a fantastic airframe. 
And it's uh, what a cool adventure you had, not even thinking you were going to get into that. Now, I know you can't speak for the other uh, professors of ROTC, but we have three departments here. We have the Army, the Air Force, and the Naval ROTC, which is, of course, uh, both Navy and Marine Corps. Um, how do you, do you all have any say in what students select, or do you say, hey, this, this freshman, their personality is more suited to join the Navy? Or is, there, is there any sort of sorting hat situation? I think a lot of that sorting happens ahead of time. Uh, in most cases, where they kind of come in knowing what they want to do. Occasionally, we will get some some students that it's hard to turn away a good student. Mm-hmm. Um, however, there are some times where you can see that somebody, based on what they want to do, they are absolutely more adapted to another service. I think that's few and far between. Like I said, most people show up knowing what they want to do. Right. Occasionally, students will maneuver back and forth. So I will have some Army or Navy students that will stop by and want to learn about the Air Force. Occasionally, they'll swap over. Uh, and we're just about to send a student to the Navy because it was just the, the right answer for her and what she wants to do with her future. Sure. So what uh, what percentage of students that want to become, I guess, is it is it easy to get involved in the ROTC program or is it competitive? Like, you know, out of 100 cadets that want to get an ROTC contract, have their college paid for, um, out of those 100, how many make it? Um, how many drop out? So what is the what is the sort of general flow of that look like? Yeah, so that's a really good question. Um, most of the cadets that actually pursue a, a commission, i.e. not just not just here for the leadership credit and then they're only going to be here two years and leave, most of them that actually want to pursue a commission are, are pretty solid students. They mm-hmm. honestly are, and they understand. As we talk about it, we, we, explain the, we explain the program as a four-year job interview. You're constantly being evaluated, and you're constantly being ranked amongst your peers. So we will stratify everyone in, each, in the program, so all freshmen, sophomores and then juniors and seniors are, are ranked in their commissioning year group. So whoever's mm-hmm. commissioning in FY24 will be ranked together, FY25, et cetera. We rank them one to end, so from top to bottom. And then we're pretty honest with them about where they sit to give them mm-hmm. that good feedback to move up and down. That said, to answer your question, I would say generally about 80% uh, that want a commission and can make it through the program will actually make it through the program mm-hmm. and get a commission. And that's based on a few factors. Obviously, there are some standards they have to meet, you know, certain GPAs, certain physical fitness standards. But then there's also a, a more objective, uh, like, leadership leadership uh, score or leadership ranking that we give them. And that's what that ranking dictates. Sure. So where we rank them. If they're on the bottom of my list or our list uh, for each year group, they have a much less of a chance across all of Air Force ROTC to be picked up for programs that they would need to go to in order to continue the program. Sure. Is that is that systematic across the United States? Is that leadership ranking? Like if, if I were ranking, if you were ranking cadets here at the Citadel and someone's ranking them at USC or Clemson, is it, hey, the bottom of that stack also is not competitive? It's not like, is it, is it recorded in their, is it recorded in their DOD history? So if they leave the school, hey, I now want a commission. Well, it turns out you are bottom of the stack at the ROTC at the Citadel, does it follow them wherever they go? Generally, no. I think if they were to compete for another program or cross-train, they may yeah. look back at scores that they received that would make them be a better pilot, let's say, mm-hmm. or indicate they might be a better pilot if they're transitioning to being a pilot after they join the Air Force. But in most cases, what has happened in ROTC generally stays there. So once you commission, it's generally a new slate. Uh, and other than like a medical qualification perspective, right. you then move on and you get evaluated as an officer, not as a cadet. So we don't sure. like, you know, this is a learning environment. They learn up till the very last day they're here. So I don't necessarily want mistakes that they made, especially if they're not like big mistakes of character. I don't necessarily want those mistakes to follow them later on. Of course. Now, two programs I wanted to talk to you about because people think of the Air Force 
I think of airplanes. You know, I know a lot of uh, a lot of there are a lot of great officers that are not actually pilots in the Air Force. What percentage of folks that come to the Air Force ROTC they say I'm going to be a pilot, and then what percentage actually become pilots? That's that's one question. And then the next question will be about uh, Space Force. Let's start with the pilot question. So for pilots, <clears throat> I would say half or slightly less, probably less than half, maybe a third show up and say, I want to be a pilot. Mm -hmm. About half of those will end up actually being pilots. Mm -hmm. Some of them change their mind partway through. Some of them may decide while they're here that they want to fly. That's kind of like what I did as a student. Um, and then some will, it's a process of selection that kind of works itself out. Mm -hmm. Either grades don't quite make sense, or in most cases, it's a physical aspect. So Medical, you mean? Like, absolutely. Yeah. So physical and medical aspects. Yeah. So they're usually there's a weeding out process from a medical perspective. And that's probably one of the hardest gates to make it through. Sure. And then it's broken into two categories. So initial DODMERB or DOD Medical Evaluation Review Board mm -hmm. qualification that most of them go through as a freshman to say, yes, they can serve in the military. And then if they are going to be picked up or want to be picked up for a flying slot and they get selected for a flying slot to be a pilot, navigator, uh, air battle manager, or a remotely piloted aircraft mm -hmm. pilot, they then have to go to another it's called an interim flight clearance or IFC. That is another more rigorous evaluation that looks a little bit deeper. Right. Many of them can be qualified to serve medically, but not necessarily qualified to be a pilot. What are those additional? Is it heart EKG what, or vision? What are the what are the what are the differences between that basic medical and the more advanced aviation medical? I would need a doctor to explain all this to you, but it's a lot of different <laughs> categories. So they will do lung tests. So for instance, some students will come back <clears> and they passed, where they could be a call it a services officer or a logistics officer, but then they want to be a pilot. And while they pass that general board, they go to the interim flight clearance and they look a little deeper and occasionally it's an asthma condition. Right. So it never been recorded in their history, but they do a lung capacity test and their pulmonary capacity is not up to whatever percentage it sure. needs to be. Sometimes by them looking deeper for that flight physical, it will actually disqualify them for military service in an area that wasn't looked at previously. Right, right. And that's the that worst case scenario, but that happens. Sure. Now, something that has happened in the last few years, we have a Space Force. Uh, it's a separate branch of service. It's got its own hymn. It's got its own uniforms. Um, and you are also the ROTC department that manages recruiting for Space Force, right? So I think that it, it's fascinating to me, and hopefully it's fascinating for prospective students and and alumni and cadets and, and all the folks that listen to the podcast to, to hear a little bit about what a career path, what choices are available, what recruiting is like, are people going to space? You know, these are just very basic questions about what the Space Force program looks like, if, if you can uh, talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So still Department of the Air Force. So similar okay. to how the Marine Corps is part of the Department of the Navy. Mm -hmm. um, the, Air, the Space Force is part of the Department of the Air Force. I didn't re realize the Space Force was that awesome. Well, because it's like the Marine Corps. It's getting there. I got it. It doesn't okay. quite have the history you guys have, but it's building up. It sets its sights a little higher. Yes, though. sir. All right. Just kidding. I know. Um, we don't have a lot of Space Force. Uh, we don't have Space Force cadre here in the detachment right now. We are getting one this summer, and they are now putting a specific Space Force billet at every mm -hmm. uh, ROTC. So, yes, as the Air Force ROTC department, we basically assess students for Air Force and Space Force. That said, realize there are 330,000 people in the Air Force. There are currently 8,000 people in the Space Force. Right. We are growing it, but it's never going to grow to be quite the size of the Air Force. Mm -hmm. It's just its mission is much more much more precise in that way. Are the uh, are the physical requirements the same? Are the mental requirements not? Are they higher, or is it sort of on par with regular they are. Air Force? 
Physical and medical requirements are almost identical. Academic requirements are honestly the same. Uh, it's the specific jobs. So when students compete for specific jobs or cadets compete for specific jobs their junior year, usually late junior year, early senior year, they will then, there are different qualifications based on your major, based on academic degree or academic degree and uh, your GPA right. as far as what you'd be selected to do. And what are, what are they hiring for? What kind of jobs do you, do you have in the Space Force? Generally more technical. So they're mostly technical across the board. The okay. Space Force still relies on the Air Force for a lot of the personnel type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the non-technical areas, mm -hmm. they are areas of space acquisitions, so space development, space acquisitions, so developing satellites, developing rockets, launching. So actually the operations of launching them, operation, space operations from the perspective of keeping satellites in orbit, managing those satellites while they're in orbit, and the data that they're producing sure. as well. Okay. Um, ROTC is, is a very set program. It's an, it's an old program in the United States. It's well-established. You know, when it, when it nests here inside the Citadel, does it just neatly overlap? Are there any points of friction? Are there any things that would, would make it easier to either uh, train cadets as ROTC students or uh, allow them a little relief from the ROTC program to be cadets? Are there any, are there any points of, uh, of concern or friction between the two programs? I wouldn't say friction. I actually think it's, it, it's probably a better environment for ROTC to, to thrive. In a regular I, school, you mean? Yes. I mean, that makes sense, right? I'd say that. And there, I talked to my fellow <clears throat> detachment commanders. There are 145 Air Force detachments. Only mm -hmm. five of them are at senior military colleges. Right. We actually have a meeting today with the, just the senior military college detachment commanders to discuss specific topics. Generally, we're way more accepted and integrated into our university than most other schools are. Mm -hmm. Many schools value their ROTC department. Some, depending on, on where they are or the... Or the Kind of the leanings of that school, they may or may not be as accepted. Yeah. They may or may not receive as much money. They may or not receive as much just just friendly, tender, loving care as, as we get hmm. here. The Citadel takes care of us. They also understand us and they integrate us into almost everything the university does. Mm -hmm. It's terrific. It does help us a little bit in the fact that the students have the military background training here, so they've learned to march already. We teach them the Air Force specifics. They know how to wear a uniform. We teach them the Air Force specifics. What that does is actually opens up a little bit more bandwidth to be able to teach some more advanced topics that we wouldn't normally get to in a regular ROTC curriculum. Interesting. That makes that makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a lot of uh, chatter in the national news about uh, recruiting being problematic because kids aren't physically fit and they're spending all day in the basement playing Call of Duty and you know Nintendo and all this. Obviously, we don't have the same physical problems here. What challenges do you see in in a, in a you know we're both a little bit older. Than these cadets, uh, what what is different in this generation um, coming through the Citadel and coming through Air Force ROTC? How would you describe the generation coming through now? That's a hard question, right? Yes, so we, we talk about this all the time, and for many years we're like, ah, oh, the millennials, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And now it's oh, Generation whatever today, yeah. right? Um, I think they are they tend to be probably more almost technically proficient, hmm. slightly more. Like they seem to be better at some of the things that they do. That said, some of the things that we struggle with are just communications, right? Mm -hmm. So we hold people accountable as leaders for you know, communicating uh, effectively mm -hmm. um, based on their methods of communication because now there are so many of them and right. you don't know what kids grew up doing. You know, Sometime it was, maybe it was all text. Now maybe it's all Instagram. And sure. it's trying to relate to them and kind of reach out and go, how can we make what we do better because of that? So how can we, how can we adapt to some of those communication methods? But then at the same time, 
how can I ensure that these kids are going to grow up and be effective communicators? Maybe as simple as like, I send them an email, I really need a response to that email, right? Or when I send an email with three questions in it, I need three answers, not just a quick answer to the first question, and then they don't read the second two questions. Sure. Those are some of the issues that we see. It's really see. interesting. You know, I had the, uh, I had the Citadel Eagle Scout Association write thank you letters for, um, for a fundraising drive they did, and they, they did not know how to address an envelope. They're just taking it back a little bit further. It's, a, it's the same concept. You know, they just are not as well-versed in, in formal communication styles. That's a perfect way to perfect way to put it. Yeah. Um, I would even say, from a, a verbal communication standpoint, uh, we've always had you know some people struggle with verbal communications. I was always you know nervous getting up speaking. Mm -hmm. I would say maybe that's a little bit worse, only mm -hmm. because they're not as used to face to face human contact as it's I think. Really we were. interesting problem based it is. on our technological you know advancement in the home and in in your hand, and it's it's really amazing to think that here we are at the Citadel where there's a lot of kneecap to kneecap and face to face, face very close to face uh, communication. I mean, what, what it must be like at other universities, I just don't know. You know, where you don't force the issue, you must receive and transmit uh, person to person. Exactly right. Yeah. You know, and sometimes we do force that just to make them a little bit uncomfortable so that sure. way they're, they're comfortable being uncomfortable. Of course. Right? Uh, well, the last question I have for you today is, now that you've been here for a little while and uh, you've seen many cadets come through your program, what advice would you have for that incoming freshman to succeed both at the Citadel and in an ROTC, be it Army, Navy, Marine Corps, or Air Force, Space Force? Um, what, what piece of advice would you tell them to hang on to as they matriculate to the Citadel? I'd say two things. First of all, uh, be open-minded. Many students come in here and they're driven and they know exactly what they want to do, and that's awesome. But even from an, a major, whether it be an academic major perspective or the perspective of an Air Force job, I hope that they all have goals set and they know roughly what they want to do. I don't want them to be too locked into those goals. You know, be a sponge your first two years here. You know, learn, absorb information, get to know, relate to experiences that other people can share with you. You may very well decide you want to do something different in life. And if you're too locked on to one thing, you may not keep your eyes open or you may have blinders on to some of the other opportunities that are out there. And you may find something that fulfills you even more. Secondly, and most importantly, just do the absolute best you can. Mm -hmm. The number one priority is pretty much your GPA. Generally, if you can keep a solid GPA here, everything else falls into place. If you get too wrapped up around having the shiniest shoes in the core, good on you. You need to work on military bearing and the military discipline as well. But if your GPA fails because you're busy shining your shoes all night, um, that's not the reason you're here. And that's not the reason your parents or the government is paying for your tuition here either. Right. That's Excellent advice. You know, it is a military college. Sometimes we forget that college comes first. Um, and so the idea that academic success is tied to military and career success um, is a really good uh, reinforcement. Well, Colonel Jay, thank you very much for, uh, for being here. Thank you for training the next generation of Air Force. And uh, thanks for being a part of the Citadel family. No worries. It's been an absolute pleasure to be here, and I look forward to continuing to learn about the Citadel. All right, sir. Take care. Cheers. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Leadership On Demand podcast presented by the Krauss Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. You can find us online, and we welcome your feedback and suggestions on who you, our audience, would like to hear from in future episodes. Thank you for your time today. We hope you'll join us here again soon for another episode of Leadership On Demand.